0: The year had passed so quickly by, how the time had flown. Two brothers came before the Lord to an altar made of stone. Each one had a sacrifice, obeying God's command. The one had fruit to offer the other a spotless lamb. His son lay on the altar, bound for death it seemed. The knife was raised above his head, as in the fire it gleamed. Then from a bush behind him, showed Abraham the only perfect substitute was the blood of a spotless lamb. And only a lamb could pay the debt for the sin of all mankind, and a lamb was all God wanted redemption's price no substitute was worthy there could be no other plan the only way to heaven is through the blood of a spotless lamb my friend if you're uncertain about your destiny If heaven's just a hope you have, then listen carefully. You can't work your way to God, there is no other plan. The only way to heaven is through Jesus, God's spot. price no substitute was worthy there could be no other plan the only way to heaven for perfect peace and heaven the only way to heaven is through Jesus God's spotless land. Amen. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to have eternal life. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Okay, getting down there, Britt? Okay. Okay. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. We are certainly glad to be back at Marlbrook, and what a privilege to uh, be able to come and to uh, stay and to preach and to have the revival meetings. And man, this is this is going to be a great week. And I certainly am uh, glad that uh, Brother Tanjili asked me to uh, come and to preach this week for the revival. <laughs> I had to work on that for like the last two minutes to make sure I said it right. I get called Tom Timpson, actually, fairly regularly. It's just one of those things that kind of flows. Tim Thompson, Tom Timpson, a lot of different names. But uh, sincerely, it is a pleasure to be able to be back and to see some familiar faces. Actually, some of you I don't recognize for certain because of the mask. And so um, if, if we have met before and I come up to you and I say, hey, sir, how you doing there? That is the key for either I can't remember your name, which is a legitimate possibility, or else the mask hides your identity, or some of you have grown longer beards than the last time that uh, I was here. The men, that is. And, um... So if I if I introduce myself again to you, please forgive my wretched soul for forgetting names or not being able to put face and name together. And I'll remind you of my name if you don't remind me or don't mind reminding me of your name, and we'll kind of call it even there. Real quickly, because it's been wow four years since we were here last for a quick weekend, and then I think five years ago was our last revival meeting with y'all to spend any length of time. Um, Let me just, real quickly, in case there are some folks that we've not yet had the opportunity to meet, let me introduce myself and my family, and then um, we'll get into the Scriptures. In fact, if you want to go ahead and take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans, that's where we're going to be this morning, is Romans and chapter 12. Uh, Let me get there as well, and then I'll speak to you while we're finishing finding our place. Romans, chapter number 12. So New Testament, if you're not familiar with finding... Places in the Scripture, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then comes Romans, and then the twelfth chapter. If you're using an electronic version of the Scriptures, I'll I'll be reading um, from what's called the King James version, just so we can you can see the same words that what I'm saying. If you use an electronic version there, uh, so we can stay together on this. Okay, while you're finishing finding your place, real quickly, Tim Thompson or Tom Thompson or. Your Majesty or Your Honor, or anything like that, be absolutely fine. Tim is my name, and really, honestly, um, Tim is fine with me if you call me that. And then my wife, Brittany, who was playing the piano a moment ago, Brittany, and then, oh, Seth Aruski is gone with the kiddo. Okay, so our oldest is Seth, he's 13, and then Samuel is now eight. Asher is five, and then we have a a newborn, a two month old, and his name is Isaac. And somebody this morning already asked me, Were you surprised? And the answer is yes. Yes, yes, we were. In fact, the name Isaac means laughter. And the reason why we named him Isaac is because when Brittany told me that we were expecting for about five or ten minutes, I did just hysterically laugh. Um, In part because I I didn't think it would be appropriate to cry in front of my wife like that. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) tears wouldn't come. No, we're really, we're thrilled about Isaac coming. It's just that we're a little older than what we had planned on being when we were going to have another child. So uh, um, he was a surprise, but a blessing for certain. So if this week you say, man, for the ten, you look, you look like you have more gray hair than you did the last time you were here. Yes, I do. I do. Or if you say, oh, your eyes look tired. Yes, yes, they are. Because we're getting back into the rhythm of um, the waking up every several hours to feed right now, and it'll get better hopefully this week. You'll start into like um, eight and a half or nine hours of sleep or something like that to give us some, <laughs> to give us some rest during the night. But all that is kind of uh, as an aside as, as to why we've gathered together this morning. We're going to look together at the scriptures, and Pastor already said this, but let me just say um, again, um, please please do plan on coming to every service that you can this week, and I know that life doesn't stop because we're having revival meetings, and it may be even because of the things that have happened in the last year with COVID, that business is busier than normal, or things are different, or maybe you're holding down two jobs as opposed to one. Um, or there's different things that are going on, and I get that life doesn't stop in this week. But I will tell you, and I mean this, one of the blessings about having a week like this is that it gives us the opportunity to gather together and to kind of, hopefully you understand what I'm saying here, um, kind of wipe off the dust of what touches us every day of our lives. And not things that are bad, but just things that are not as important as other things, and allows us, this week does, to come together and to emphasize, to readjust focus so that we can be what we we ought to be. And sometimes, sometimes what happens in our lives is that we don't give quite enough attention to things that are very important, And so we almost either lose interest in them or we don't find them attractive because because we're not given the kind of time that is necessary to have the relationship with those things that we need desperately, those things which are eternal. Namely, our relationship with the Lord um, and uh, living for eternity and things such as that. So, I don't know what your normal habit is. Honestly, I don't remember from church to church um, who comes back every service. And so it may be that you typically, it may be that you normally just come on Sunday morning and you don't usually come back Sunday night. Whatever your normal habit is, please, please consider coming to every service that you can this week. Tonight at 6, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 7. This is is when we're going to meet, and it may take extra effort. And you have to come in in your work clothes? No big deal. If you have to come in 10 or 15 minutes late, we're okay with that. If you come in 15 minutes late, nobody's going to go, what does that person think they're doing coming in late to a service? We're going to think, thank God, here's somebody who sees the value and importance of a week like this in their hearts. By the way, if you are parents of younger children, if you, if you have children who are in school, we, we will do our best to be as aware of time as we can be. Now, I'm, I'm not promising a certain time by which we will be out, but I will be aware because you have kids that have to get up in the morning. But it but it, will, um, it will do a world of good for your family and your children for them to see that this week is valuable, that this, forgive me, that this God thing is real. And it's not just something that we do because we're Americans or because it's a habit or because granddaddy did it, that, that this, is, this is true. This is the real thing. And so uh, you, you come and bring your family, invite people to come this week and be in prayer this week that God will give me exactly what it is that I need in order to be able to give to you what he would have for all of us to have so that we can grow in what it is that we need to gain. Okay, now I know that we're live streaming this morning because I I had asked Pastor about that and he mentioned it. If I step down on the floor, will live stream be able to see me or am I out of sight? Okay, the top of my, they will? Okay, I have three thumbs. Wow, three thumbs up in the balcony up there. That's pretty good. I've heard of two thumbs up, but that's all three, and so we should be good to go. Um, and I—I I noticed I'd forgotten this, but I remember now the uh, pillars along here that people are looking around all the time. So I will—I am not a standstill person when I speak, and that's the not a good habit, it's a bad habit, but it's the habit that I have, and so I apologize in advance if you find yourself going like this, and if I see you, just throw your arms up in desperation and slump back on the chair that I know I've moved too much, and I will try to stand more still so that you can see, that you can see. Um, not that seeing actually is a benefit to you, I mean, what you have to look at is not that pleasant, but it is, it is what it is, so... And it may be better than what you normally have anyway, so uh, (laughs) we're going to preach on brotherly love this morning and seeing how to love one another in an appropriate way. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read two familiar verses out of Romans 12. Verses 1 and 2 uh, the verses we'll look at. When I first started preaching, I made the decision that I was not going to preach passages that everybody else preached. You know, the um, uh, normal everything you hear, every time you hear special speakers, I'm not going to preach. Like Romans 12, 1 and 2. Everybody's, everybody's heard messages on Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm not going to preach Romans 12, 1 and 2, I said when I was younger. And then, as I grew in understanding a little bit, I began to realize that the reason why there are familiar passages that are preached a lot is because of how powerful powerfully they put certain truths that are so valuable and so important. And that is certainly the case with these two verses. And uh, so I want you to hear these verses again for the first time, even if you've heard them preached before read them or memorize them I want you to hear them again and let's look and see what God has for us from Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 now typically uh, my habit is just to show public respect for the scriptures I invite people who are physically able to stand as we read the Bible so if you're able to stand would you please Romans 12 I'll read out loud verses 1 and 2 and then when I'm reading I'll ask God to help us and then you can be seated after I've prayed all right Romans 12 1 says this I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. Don't don't be pressed into the image of this world. But instead, but be transformed by the renewing or the renovating of your mind that ye may prove or show what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, help us this morning, please, as we look at your word, to gain the insight that we need. We believe that all scripture is given by your inspiration and all of it is profitable. We're convinced that what you say is right. At least we want to be convinced of that. We desire to be able to build our lives on a foundation that is more sure than the shifting sand of society. And so this morning, dear God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you please to meet with us in a special way to reveal yourself and your son through your word that your spirit would move in us and show us the things that we need to gain as a result of looking at what you have said. Help me, please, to be clear and succinct. Help me to say everything that you want me to say. And if there's something that I'm plan on, planning on saying that would not benefit, then let it fall in your mind. Take this time and use it, Father. This is, this is a time that we call a worship service. And in our worship, we come humbly before your word and we bow before you asking you please to reveal yourself to us in the name of the Lord Jesus I ask these things of you my father amen thank you for standing please be seated I'd like to start out this morning with a parable with a story actually an illustration and it's not a parable from the Bible or an illustration from the Bible but this is a Tim Thompson parable totally totally made up And uh, you're going to be involved in this illustration. Um, Basically, I'd like you to dust off your imagination a little bit. And imagine with me for a second that you and I are siblings, that you're my brother or you're my sister. And uh, let's say that I'm 11 years old and you're 9 years old, and we live in a neighborhood that is made up of... um, houses that are basically all built by the same builder. They all look exactly the same. Sometimes we call them cookie cut houses where where a builder came through and built everything the same. And basically the way our neighborhood looks is every house is a two-story house. Every house has a driveway, no garages. Every house has a driveway, no parking on the street. Um, The front yard, um, from the front of the house to the road is about 30 yards worth of grass and from driveway to driveway is about 25 or 30 yards worth of grass as well. And then everybody has about a quarter of an acre or half an acre in the backyard, large backyards, smaller front yards, and everybody parks in the driveway. And it's Friday afternoon. We come home from school one uh, one day, and um, when we get home, it's about 4 o'clock. We come in. We drop our book bags off by the door, walk in, look, go into the kitchen, look and see if there's anything to eat. We eat it. When we're done eating, then uh, we say, hey. Let's play catch. You go grab your base, your baseball mitt. I'll grab mine and I'll grab a baseball. Let's let's go play catch. Now, we love baseball. It's our pastime. It's favorite thing to do. But dad has already told us that we're not allowed to play baseball in the front yard because of the amount of grass and yard that's there and because of cars and windows of the houses, but we're allowed to play baseball in the backyard. So we grab our baseball mitts and a baseball, and we're heading out the front door, and we decide amongst ourselves that we're going to play baseball, or we're going to play catch, rather, in the front yard. After all, we reason. We're not technically playing baseball. We're playing catch which is totally different, and dad won't be home for another half an hour, so we should be good to go. So we get out into the front yard, and I have my back to our neighbor, Mr. Wilson, because that's everybody's neighbor's name, Mr. Wilson's um, driveway, and you have your back to our driveway. Both driveways are empty, and we just start playing catch back and forth. I throw the ball to you. You throw the ball to me. Back and forth, we throw. After about five or ten minutes of this, we get a little bored, and so we start playing scenarios where I'll take the ball and throw a grounder, and you'll scoop it up, tag an imaginary second base, and then throw the ball to me, and we're turning double plays, and we're setting up scenarios and having a great time. Well, while we are doing this, Mr. Wilson pulls into his driveway. So we stop for a second and uh, say hey to Mr. Wilson, and he goes inside, and I take a couple steps forward to get away from his driveway, and then we go back to our baseball or our, our catch playing. And while we're playing catch, you say to me, hey, throw me a pop fly. So I take the ball, and I throw it up in the air, and you catch it, and then you throw it back to me. And I throw the ball to you, and I say, throw me a pop fly. So you take the ball, you throw it up in the air, it comes right to me, I catch it, throw it back to you, and I say, no, 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 because um, I'm older. I want, you, I want you to make me to work for one. I mean, make, make me, like, have to go after it. So you take the ball, and you throw it up in the air high, and it goes over my head. So like a good outfielder, I turn and begin to run and tracking down the ball, eyes on the ball, I reach out my glove to catch the ball, and just as I do, out of the corner of my eye, I see something big and brown, and I stop and pull my hand down just in time to watch our baseball sail through the front driver's side window of Mr. Wilson's car. Well, you and I do what any 11- and 9-year-old would do. We run around in circles for a minute, and then we head over to our house, and we go inside. We go inside, and we sit down on the couch, and we can see out the front room window as Dad pulls in the driveway just a couple moments later. And we're thinking to ourselves, oh, I hope he wasn't on the street. I hope we didn't see what just happened. We're watching as Dad gets out of the truck, reaches in the back of the truck, grabs his lunch pail, starts to walk up towards the house, and then all of a sudden he stops, and he looks over towards Mr. Wilson's house. He sets down his lunch pail, and he begins to walk over towards Mr. Wilson's house, and now our faces are plastered against the window. I watch him, Dad, as he walks over, and he goes over to the car, and he looks around on the ground, and then we see Dad look inside the car, reach in, and pull out our baseball. He tosses it up, And I turn to you and I say, you didn't grab the baseball? Dad turns decidedly, comes over, grabs his lunch pail, comes inside. We're back on the couch, and we're thinking to ourselves, "We are dead. We are dead. We are dead, 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 dead. This is so bad, bad, bad. Oh, this is so bad. This is so bad. We are so dead. We're in so much trouble." And Dad comes in. He drops the baseball in the shoe basket beside the front door, walks past us, goes straight upstairs towards his bedroom. And I turn to you and I say, "He's going to get the gun. We are so dead. This is so bad. We are gonna, we are gonna die. This is so bad. And we are, we are eaten up on the inside. We're." We are thinking we are dead. So uh, Dad comes back down. He doesn't say anything to us about the baseball. Walked right past us, out the front door, takes a left, and heads over to Mr. Wilson's house. When he does, our faces are back against the window. We watch as Dad walks over to the car, past the car, up to Mr. Wilson's house. And we can't see because of the angle, but we can tell that Dad knocks on the door because he steps back, and then Mr. Wilson steps out, and we can see part of Mr. Wilson, and we see Dad say something to him, point at the car, and we see Mr. Wilson's hands go up like this, and then Dad says something else, Mr. Wilson answers. Dad pulls out his checkbook from his pocket, writes a check, tears it out, hands it to Mr. Wilson, and then turns around and comes back towards us. And we're thinking to ourselves, Dad just spent money on us. We are in so much trouble. This is so bad. Well, Dad comes into the house, walks past us, says nothing about the baseball. Upstairs, we hear the shower turn on. Dad takes a shower, comes down that night. We're allowed to have dinner. We're even allowed to have dessert. Nothing is said about the baseball at all. We think to ourselves, we have dodged a bullet. Literally, we have dodged a bullet. Well, the next morning, Saturday morning, we get up, and as our tradition is, 6:30 in the morning, we get up, find all the sugared cereal in the house, eat it, and then grab our toys and start playing on the living room floor. And Dad comes down about 7.15, 7.20, makes a cup of coffee, has some toast, and then Dad heads out the back door towards the backyard. And we can't see real well, but I can stand up and see out the back window that Dad is out in the backyard, and he's going around in the backyard, and he's picking up sticks from a recent wind storm that we had had. And I turn to you, and I say, hey, Dad's in the backyard picking up sticks. And you say, yeah. And I say, let's go help Dad pick up sticks. And you say, did he tell us too? And I say, no, no, but let's go help Dad pick up sticks. And you say, but he didn't tell us to, right? And I say, no, no, he didn't. But I say, do you remember what happened yesterday and what could have happened to us? (laughs) Since Dad was so kind, let's go help Dad pick up sticks. Okay, now it's a silly illustration. And the reason why I give it this morning is because the illustration provides for us a glimpse into kind of the attitude that the Apostle Paul uses when addressing this group, the people he's writing this letter to, the church at Rome, when he addresses these people, it, 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 it gives the attitude that the Apostle Paul is using and encouraging them towards something that's significant. I, I, want, I want you to see, and I'll show you why the story matters in a minute. But I want you to see, first of all, the significance of what Paul is calling them to. Now, this verse, again, is familiar. If you've grown up in church, if you ever went to church camp, if you have if you have attended more than 15 or 20 services, then at some time you've probably heard a message either on Romans 12, 1 and 2, or else uh, you heard it used as part of a message because of what it says. But I want you to hear it and think as if you've never heard it before. Listen to what the verse says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, stop. And don't hear it with church-going ears. Hear it, hear it just with ears that read and understand what something is saying when it's saying. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living Sacrifice. Okay, listen to the significance of what Paul is calling these people to. Well, in order to help you with it, let me let me do it this way. Let, let's say that this morning I came in, I came in here, and when I stood up to preach, I said, "Hey, look, before before I preach, um, I I have something I want to share with you guys. Listen, I've got a great idea. I've been working on this for months, and I have got a plan." That okay, if you will work my plan, I have a plan where we all of us can take over the world. I mean. We can be the ones, you and I can be the ones who rule the world. We can be kings and queens. We can be the rulers. We can be the presidents. We can be the czars. We can be whatever it is that we want to be. I have a plan, and it will work. I'm confident it will work. And all I need for you to do is to give to me everything you have, including the disposal of your life. How many of you would like to sign up for a uh, for a plan such as that? Well, obviously, to even to mention it, silly. You think to yourself, brother Tim. First of all, you're from Tennessee. There's no way you came up with any plan to take over the world. You guys don't even wear shoes in Tennessee, let alone know how to take over the world. So no, I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to give to you everything that I have or give you the disposal of my life where you can use my life in any way, even to the death of it. There's no, there's no way that I'm going to give that to you. Why? Well, you say, because I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't trust your plan and I don't even care if you do have a plan. I'm not willing to sacrifice my life for your plan. Okay, and you'd be in your right mind to say that. In fact, when people get caught up in cults where the leader calls them to the place where they're willing to sacrifice their life, we say something is not right with somebody like that who is willing to give up their life to follow some man even to death. That's just not, that's just not right. They're not right in the head. Okay, listen. But that is exactly what Romans 12.1 is saying. In Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul is coming to a group of Christians, to believers, and he's saying, listen, I am beseeching you. The word beseech means to beg, but don't think like like down on the knees, like, oh, please, won't you please consider? I mean, this will be nice if you—it's not not that at all. The beseeching is, hey, this is something that is right. This is something that is good. This is something that makes sense. And he says, I want you— to give to God, to present to God your body as a living sacrifice where God has all of you tie a bow on top, offer it to God, where God has you, you guys all understand this, lock, stock, and barrel. All things of your life, everything that makes up you, give it to God. And you and I hear that in a church setting, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. But anybody else who would call for something like that you'd say that's ludicrous and that's exactly what God calls for here okay listen my point is or rather the scripture's point is this the call here from God through Paul to this church and by extension to you is a significant call it's a big deal it's a deal that involves everything that you are and everything that you have. It involves your time and your effort and your energy. It involves your talents. It involves your Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. It involves Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It involves you giving yourself completely to God so that he can do whatever he He desires with you. I'm telling you, this is a huge deal. This is no small thing. This isn't just a spiritualism that gets thrown around as a religious saying. This is a call to be a sacrifice willing to allow your life to be put on the line if necessary. It's a big deal. And that's what God calls for. Wow. Okay, then I say to myself, Why? I don't mean like why because uh, why does he want to use me? But why does why does Paul, the apostle, feel comfortable telling other people, "Give your life to God"? How? Can Paul feel okay with telling people to give up everything they are and have and let God rule and reign in their life completely? How can he do that? Okay, now let's circle back to the story I told you and let me show you why. As great and as significant as the call of God for a person to yield themselves completely to him is equally as great. Now, listen to this, please. And if you find your brain wandering right now, which sometimes it does on Sunday mornings, I get it. Bring it back in, all right? Come back. I want you to see the motivation. I want you to see why it is that Paul felt that he had the position, the right, given by God to say, hey, I want you to give yourself to God. Look, look, at, look at chapter 12 one more time and look down at verse 1. And I'm gonna read the, I'm gonna read part of the verse, and then I'm gonna give a dramatic pause, and I want you to fill in the next phrase, all right? Here it is: Romans 12, verse 1. The Bible says this. I beseech you therefore, brethren. That was my dramatic pause. You're supposed to fill in the next phrase. Let's try it again. Here we go. Ready? Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Okay, stop right there let's try it one more time ready I beseech you therefore brethren okay listen to this here's here's what he's saying here's the reason why the Apostle Paul felt at ease felt like he had the right from God to be able to say to these people and to us hey give yourself a sacrifice holy to God let God have you let God have your body let God have your talent let God have your time let God have you your life your future everything everything your entertainment everything about you let God have you why, why does Paul say, feel like he can say this? And here's the reason why. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Then he says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So here's what Paul does. Paul draws their attention to the fact that they, that we have been the beneficiaries of the mercy of God. And friend, that's no small matter. That's no small thing because the mercies of God, while it is offered freely as a gift to us, cost God the life of his son. What Paul is doing in this statement while he is making a significant call of, hey, Give your life to God. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Let God have you. While he's saying that, in the same breath he's saying, and don't forget what you have received. Don't forget that you are a recipient of the mercy that God gave you when he forgave your sins, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and while he lived the perfect life, because he's the son of God. And while he did not deserve to die the death that he did, he, Christ, endured the death of the cross. And the death that Jesus Christ endured has great impact when you stop for a moment. It just, well, okay, all right, just consider three things about it. Think, Think about the physical aspect of the death of Christ. We're told in the Bible things that happen physically to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you you remember? Can you see it in your mind? Have you watched Christ go through what he went through in the week of sufferings when he was handed over to the soldiers and the soldiers with their fists buffeted his face or slapped across his face as they stripped him of his garment, took his beard hair and pulled it out, plucked out his hair? tying his hands together up on a post or over a pole, and then a a soldier taking what's called a cat of nine tails, a dowel rod with nine strands of leather coming out, embedded in the leather, broken bone, broken pottery, lead weights or rocks on the end, and the soldier begins to lash that whip across the back of the Lord Jesus Christ, slapping it across his skin, and every time the leather slaps his skin, the broken bone and broken pottery digs into his flesh, and the soldier rips it away a crown of thorns, inch and a half long, put on his head and beat down into his skull till the blood runs down his bruised and bloody cheeks and falls to the earth beneath his feet. And then after a mock trial, to be taken to a place called Galgoth or Calvary and to lay down on a cross and allow his hands to be nailed to wood and his feet nailed to the cross and then to hang for hours in naked shame, enduring death. Why? why did jesus christ allow himself he who knew no sin he the son of god who at any moment could have called for a thousand angels to come and destroy every miserable wretch that was placing pain in his body why did christ endure the cross and the answer is to give you mercy so that you don't have to pay for your sins so that i don't have to pay for my sins so that I could escape the judgment of hell that I deserve, so that you could escape the judgment that comes because of your sin, all to provide for you mercy. Christ endured the cross. The physical pain, have you ever ever thought about the emotional pain that Christ endured? Think of this. Do you remember the trial that took place before they condemned Christ to the cross? Here's Pilate. I find no fault in him. Let him go. And the people cried out, no, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. His blood be on us and on our children, but we want him dead. Do you know who those people were that called for his death? Do you know? Do you know what nationality they were? They were Jews. Now, here in America, we're made up of a lot of different nationalities. The Jewish nation is not made up of a lot of different nationalities. The Jewish nation is a family. So that it is the very family of the Lord Jesus Christ. How close in relation, we don't know, but it's not out of the question because of who his parents, humanly, his parents were, that it could, that there could have been first or second cousins, the people who are supposed to stand by you when nobody else will, who cried out, well, "His blood, his blood, his blood be on us!" But we want him dead. You, you don't think that? You don't think that wouldn't hurt to have your own family not only turn their back? but call for the death and your disciples. Peter, Matthew, Bartholomew, where are you guys? For three years you have been with me. I have poured myself into you. I walk away. You think there's no sting in that? I'm I'm just saying, Christ endured emotional suffering like few in this room have ever endured. Why? So you could have mercy. So that you would not have to pay for your sins, so that you could experience the forgiveness of God. And then probably the one that we least understand, and I don't know that we'll ever fully understand it until heaven is this. The spiritual pain that Christ endured on the cross. um, Wow, okay. When Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. This, This means that Christ took our punishment on himself, that the payment of our sins were placed on him. With his stripes, Isaiah says, we are healed. The Lord Jesus on the cross used an Old Testament passage that was meant for him when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay, why? Because for the first time in eternity past and the only time in eternity future, the Father turned his back on the Son when Christ took sin on himself. And Jesus Christ in that moment suffered all and more of hell. There may have been times in your life when you felt abandoned or you felt like God has forgotten you, but friends, I'm telling you, there's not a moment, there's not a moment in your life that you've ever experienced God-forsakenness, but that's exactly what Jesus Christ endured. Why? Why would Christ go through it? That which he begged, if it's possible, let this happen. Cup pass from me. Why would Christ endure it? And here's the answer. So that you can have mercy. So the Apostle Paul, in speaking to Christians, says this. Hey, I beseech you. I beseech you. I want you to, to give your life to God completely. I mean, every part of you, every bit of what makes up you. You give you to God. Let God have you completely with no strings attached as a sacrifice. God, you have me do that. And let me tell you what the motivation is. I beseech you by the mercies of God. You know, almost every week that I preach revival meetings, I'll stand up on Sunday morning like I did this morning. And I'll say, hey, listen, we're having revival meetings all week. And this week is going to be a help to you. This week is meant for this church. You guys, come. If you can, come, come to every service. Even if you don't normally come, I want you to come this week. Please come and let God speak to your heart. And, and I, I, I'm imploring. I'm, I'm encouraging people to come. And I don't, I don't mind doing that. And please, this is, not a, this is not a backhanded slap. It's not. This isn't a look over here, let me slap you across the face thing. But may I suggest that if we remembered the way that we're called to here, the mercy that we enjoy and the price that was paid for the mercy, and if our lives were given to God in response to the enjoyment of that mercy, (laughs) if God wanted me to, no problem. Why? Well, don't you remember what could have happened? The point is, hey, come on, let's, let's go help dad pick up sticks. don't, Don't you remember what could have happened to us? Don't you remember what should have happened to us? Don't you remember what we deserve? Since dad was so kind, since we've enjoyed the mercy of god it's a reasonable service it makes sense let's help dad pick up sticks my oldest son seth is um, 13 years old and he is a wealth of knowledge of worthless facts he has. All kinds of things on his mind. If you want to know trivia, if you if you have weird things that that, uh, hey, did you know? He, pro- he probably he probably does. If it's weird and useless, then uh, then Seth Seth will know it. Every once in a while, well, not every once in a while, fairly often he'll come out and say, "Hey, did you guys know?" And I usually say, "Nope," and I'll do my best to forget that now. Thank you. Something along that line. Was so that recently? Was it um, came out and he said, "Hey, did you know that?" Um, Hand grenades, the waffle shape on the hand grenades is like a purposeful design. He said, yeah, the uh, waffle shape on a hand grenade, you know, when they pull the pen and throw the grenade, the metal in between the, the part that sticks out is weakened metal so that when the powder on the inside explodes, it becomes like shrapnel that goes in every di- direction, and it's more, it's more dangerous, it's more deadly that that way. When somebody throws it, you have about five seconds, pull the pen, throw it, about five seconds later, it explodes, and all of those waffle shapes go in every direction. It becomes, it becomes super deadly. Ah! That, that's actually pretty interesting and i and i, I had I have boys so we like violence and violent things a lot and so I said hey guys let me let me tell you something i said you know there there are a number of stories true stories about in the time of battle about a group of soldiers who have been standing around or or in a foxhole or or fighting when an enemy grenade comes in and in that instant before the explosion of the grenade one of the soldiers will dive on top of the grenade and cover over, knowing that there is no, there's no way they live. There's no way they live but to give just the chance for for the uh, other other soldiers to live. And while I was telling them that, I, I got to thinking to myself, I wonder if I could do that. I don't know if anybody knows what they would do in a moment, but I've wondered if that were to happen, could I, knowing what would happen, just because it's you don't have time to think through, just jump on and cover over? And then I thought to myself, you know, if I were in a group of soldiers, and a grenade came in and somebody else, another soldier jumped on on top and covered over. When I got back from war, I would make sure to find his parents and go tell them, hey listen, this is what your son did for me, I just want you to know If you need anything, anything, you just ask. You you can ask. Anything anything you need at all. I told my boys, there would be a picture of that soldier in my house. And each one of my boys would have a part of his name in theirs because of the sacrifice he made so that I could live. I thank God for soldiers who are willing to give their lives so that other soldiers can live. But friends, please hear me in context. That is absolutely nothing in comparison to what Christ did in providing us eternal mercy. And the Father is the one who sent him to do it. Forgive me but you're going to fold your arms and say don't I'm not going to but there's part of my life that I just that I just want to live this way Now this time is my time This is this is this is my life my entertainment my music my my uh, choice my future Seriously? After the mercy of God, bought and paid for by the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? For what it's worth, the wonderful thing about our God is that the life that he chooses for us, the life that he gives to those who yield themselves, while it's not always easy, the Bible says it's always acceptable, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. It's complete. But you don't ever get to know that until you come to the place where because of the mercy that God has given, you say, God, here is my life. So here's my encouragement to you, my challenge. Would you this afternoon just take a few moments to remember the price that was paid so that you could have mercy? And then would you just decide to help dad pick up sticks? Would you just say, dear God, yes, yes, you have me. Yeah. In comparison to the price that was paid for me, yes, you have me. Now, if you're here this morning and you've not yet accepted, experienced the mercy of God, The forgiveness has been offered to all who will accept Jesus Christ as Savior. The sacrifice was made 2,000 years ago on the cross. The offer is extended. If you reject Jesus Christ, then you do reject your only hope of eternal life. We have signs up on the front that say, my hope is Jesus. The reason why is because our only hope Our only way out, our only light at the end of the tunnel, our only um, opportunity for eternal life and forgiveness of sins is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And while Christ died for your sins, um, God does not force that forgiveness or Christ on anyone, but if you'll receive him, then God will save you. And he will. And he will. So, unashamedly this morning, friends, unashamedly, With the Apostle Paul, I plead with you. Give your life completely to God. Let him have you. And you want to know why I think that that would be the right thing to do? Because we've been given mercy. And that mercy came at great cost. So how about it, friend? Father, I come to you. In Jesus' name and because of Christ, grateful, O oh God, for the access that I have before your throne, I come asking you, please, now to allow the truth of the mercy that has been provided by your Son to be impressed upon our hearts, to reach past our Intellectual minds, though it certainly needs to affect us there. And may it affect our very conscience, the reason why we do the things that we do. Father, if there are some here who have not yet experienced the forever forgiveness of their sins, would you please convince them of their need of the Lord Jesus? And Father, if there are some believers who are this morning struggling in their lives and they know it and you've told them about it, with some area where they're just not, they've not yet yielded themselves to you. And maybe there's some areas where they're just, they're holding on to self and um, selfish gains and, and life about them. I pray, dear Father, that you would allow them to see their Savior and what he endured so that you could offer to us the mercy that you have given to us. And may it impact our living and our life. We need you, Lord, and we know it. Now, please, please help us. Please help us in our response time now. With heads bowed and eyes closed please no one looking around let me just ask several questions if I may The first question is this I wonder how many would say by an uplifted hand this morning again I'll be looking pastor may be looking I'll ask that no one look no one else look out of curiosity of course God God sees everything he knows your heart But I wonder how many would say by an uplifted hand this morning Tim I'm not suggesting that I'm perfect, that I'm everything that I should be, but here's what I know. I know that I have already experienced the mercy of God. Specifically, I have experienced the mercy of God and the forever forgiveness of my sins by putting my trust in Christ. I have received Jesus Christ as my savior. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I belong to God. And as a testimony of God's grace in my life, I can say with confidence, based upon the truth of his word, yes, I have experienced the mercy of God. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand? If that's something you know, I've trusted Christ and I know it. Wonderful, wonderful. You can put your hands down. It's almost everybody that raised their hand. Let me ask it this way. Are there some this morning, or rather, who would say this morning, Tim, I have not yet experienced the mercy of God. Namely, I have not yet trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I don't know for certain that I belong to God through Christ. But that is something that I need to know, that I want to know. And you'd say by an uplifted hand, Tim, please pray for me. This is what I need and I know it. Would you slip up your hand if that's true for you this morning and let me pray for you. I'll not embarrass you or point you out. I'll just pray for you. Anyone like that, would you raise your hand up high enough for me to see it? I'm going to wait just for a moment because of the importance of this question. Okay, next question. I wonder how many this morning would say, Brother Tim, the message of Romans 12, 1 and 2, the message of yielding life, of uh, a sacrificial offering to God, where God has me and all of me, uh, based upon the motivation of the mercy I've received, that um that hits where I need. That's, that points to some needs, some things that need to happen in my life, a, a, re, a realigning, a, a reconnecting, a, a surrender or a resurrender or some specific areas where God's dealing in me, and I see the importance of this. And you'd say by an uplifted hand this morning, Tim, God's spoken to my heart, and I need just a couple minutes to talk to the Lord about it. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand and let me pray with you about it, and I'll know that we need to take a few. Okay, all right, there's a number of hands. You, you can. God bless you. Good, you can put your hands down. One more question. I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, Tim, you didn't speak specifically to my need. At least you haven't asked any questions regarding it, but God is dealing with me about some things, and I just... I just need to do what God would have me to do. And you may not have preached about it, or at least you haven't asked questions about it in the invitation, but God's dealing, about, dealing with me about some things. And you'd say, would you please pray with me that I will do what God would have me to do um, in regards to what he's dealing with me about. Anybody like that this morning where it's not something maybe I spoke on, but God's dealing with Okay, a number of hands. You can put your hands down. Would everybody look up this way? Because of the number of hands that were raised, I think it would be um, unwise for us just to pray and be dismissed. I think it would be helpful, beneficial for us to take a minute, and let's do business with God. I don't know exactly what you all typically do um, here at church, but what we'll do this morning is I'm going to pray for us and those that have raised their hands when I'm finished praying um, Brittany's going to begin to play on the piano a hymn of invitation. As soon as she begins to play, if God dealt in your heart and you want to do business with God, then I'm going to invite you to do one of two things. Either step out, come find a place at the front pew or at the front here and talk to the Lord, or else, if you're able to physically, just turn and kneel where you are. But don't. the point is, don't leave without doing business with the Lord. And And it helps to take a moment and and seal it with the Lord. So if you're physically able, would you stand with me as I pray, and then I'll invite us to do business with God. Father, hear the prayers, please, of your children as they come to you. Um, I don't know how, how embattled they are, but there may be some right now who are really struggling with some things. I pray, dear God, that you'd hear the request and that you'd answer speedily, that you'd return unto them the joy of their salvation, that you'd turn your face toward us and revive us again. And begin that in this morning, please. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask these things. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as Brittany begins to play, you have God dealt in your heart. Let's do business with it. If you raised your hand, let me invite you either to come or to turn a knee where you are if you're physically able. But don't leave without doing business with God. Come on, let's go.